0: one of our colleagues, Sam Thompson, who um, if you saw him, you'd sort of right away assume he was a hippie. Get up
1: up your ass and get
0: All right, welcome to Witch Police Radio. Uh, once again, you know we all live on, on the internet because the pandemic is not quite over yet. But uh, one of the things I like about doing this podcast over the past eight and a half years is that I get to meet a lot of people who, whose music is, is fairly new to me. Like I try to go online and find every local artist, regardless of genre, and just start following them on whatever social media and to find out what they're about and, and to find out, you know, to find artists whose music I, I enjoy. And over the past, I think as listeners to the show might know, over the past few years, I've gotten a lot more into jazz than I ever was before and Winnipeg is a very rich um, history and current crop of jazz musicians so I've been having a few more from that genre on the show which is a nice mix you know between like metal bands and and folk singers and stuff so um, the guest on this show is someone whose music is relatively new to me um, but I've been listening to it I have a lot of questions for you but I think the best way to sort of kick this off is if you want to introduce yourself and maybe just give a bit of background on where you come from musically.
2: Sure. Uh, well, my name is Candice Tugby. I'm a trumpeter, pianist, singer, uh, guitarist, composer, arranger, and educator based in Winnipeg. I was born and raised in Winnipeg, so that's kind of, that's my roots. That's where I'm from. And cool. uh, my mom is from Trinidad and Tobago, so I still have a little bit of,
0: you know, that yeah, as yeah, well. Sure, sure. Well, one of the things that like what you just mentioned is you're kind of a, not just one instrument. I mean, I noticed that from watching your videos, and listening to some of your stuff, too. Uh, at first, I thought you were a trumpet player because, I, you know, uh, first kind of interaction with your social media. And then it's like, oh, no, wait, it's not just trumpet. There's this piano and there's vocals and there's guitar. I guess where does that sort of multi-instrumentalism come from? Did you have one instrument that was sort of always your main focus or have you always been sort of able to to play around with all these different sounds?
2: Well, I was, uh, of course, like every kid, I was singing when I was little, you know, yeah. I used to sing on the bus, I probably drove people insane. Um, <laughs> but that's where I started. And I uh, started taking piano lessons when I was, I think, six or seven, Okay, classically trained. Um, and I stuck with that till I went to university. So I did that for good 11, 12 years, did okay. my RCM exams. So that was something that was always uh, very much there. Um, when I was in grade six, I guess I started playing trumpet in band and, uh, I it, it's, it's a hard instrument to play. Yeah, no, no, yeah, okay. And, uh, you know, I, I did that, but I played a lot of piano. In fact, um, I was homeschooled, I guess I should mention that. Uh, so in grade six, I joined the grade six band and, and the jazz band. Okay. Um, and then in grade seven, my band teacher had moved to the high school and said, hey, I need a piano player for the grade 10 band. Can you come and and play with them? Because we have nobody. Right. And of course, being homeschooled, I actually could do that. Um, so that was that was really fun. And that was a really good opportunity for me to play some more complicated jazz music. For sure. And be put in a situation where I had to push myself and And kind of learn on the spot so I continued playing trumpet for uh, throughout uh, middle school and high school and in grade 12 I went back to uh, the high school to play in the jazz band okay and uh, that's where I first uh, really met Derek Gardner my my trumpet prof from the U of M Um, I'd seen him in passing at events and things like that but we never really taught but okay. he came and did a master class for us and afterwards i said you know i'd really like to take some trumpet lessons with you because i had not taken trumpet lessons up to that point oh really okay You're self taught so it seems Derek like a hard was, yeah, one to com-
0: self-teach i mean like you know uh, a lot yeah. of people self-teach guitar or bass or something like that you know and you know because you can play a few chords and you got a song but i mean trumpet yeah that's a that's a bit of an yeah. unusual one to do to learn on your own
2: Definitely. I I mean, obviously, I learned in band and things like that, but to say take private lessons, I hadn't done that yet. So, you know, Derek is just the sweetest guy. and He's like, yeah, come on down, we'll do do a lesson. And I went there and I said, you know, I'll pay you. He says, no, no, no. Yeah, I'm going to give you a free lesson. I'm like, okay, good. So I expect like an hour, half an hour, an hour. Three hours later, we're still sitting there and we're playing and we're listening to music. And, you know, um, that just really inspired me at that point because I had I loved jazz I didn't know how to improvise that was a big thing for
0: me well I I, understood I have a question about that actually just sorry to interrupt but I I feel like a lot of people that that I know personally as well who are very classically trained especially with piano they can play anything off a given piece of music they'll play it beautifully note for note exactly how it's written but I know a lot of people who can't then do something like improvise or write a song even because there's like mm-hmm. a weird, it almost seems like a different part of the brain being used to to improvise than it is to just, you know, play something that's, that's already already there. So h- how did you sort of move from from one to the other? Because it, it does seem like two different worlds.
2: It is. And I was, I'll definitely, that's a very valid point. Like classically trained musicians are, and I have so much respect for them. They, totally, yeah. they play, I remember sitting in the fourth floor of the music building by the practice rooms and there would be somebody on a French horn and they would literally play two bars and stop and play it again. And they would do this for hours. And I'm just like, the, the mental, uh, the mental space you have to be in to just repeat something to get it consistent every time um, is, is something very, very special. Um, That being said, as you said as well, it's very hard to improvise um, because your brain's like, I need something in front of me. Totally, You can't, so that was really hard for me. And I had listened to a lot of the music. Like I was very, I, I knew what it sounded like, but I didn't understand the theory and the harmony that was involved for me to make a successful solo. Yeah. And so, I mean, I owe so much to Derek. He, he gave me lessons every week. We would do two, three hours every week and um, we would do listening. He'd, you know, quizzed me on my theory. He helped me maneuver changes. And so the first year I auditioned to the U of M, I didn't get in. Um, They only accept like two or three trumpet players a year. I think there were like eight or nine the year that I auditioned. And honestly, I didn't deserve to be there. Like I just, (laughs) I I wasn't there yet, but it was something that I wanted to do. And I said, you know, this is, I want to be in music, but I don't want to play classical music anymore. Yeah. not as a career anyway, I still do play, but um, not to that extent and that intensity. So I did my interview and I told them I, um, cause they do a panel afterwards and they kind of talk to you, find out about you and, yeah. and who you are. And I said, you know, if I'm not, if you don't accept me this year, you're going to see me next year, I told them. And sure enough, I didn't do make it the first year. And I took another year of lessons with Derek. I did some U1 classes, you know, because my mind was set on that yeah. and the second year i did my audition and i did get in
1: nice.
2: um but i did tell them i said you know if you don't accept me this year you're gonna see <laughs> me next year you're gonna you're gonna get sick of me you're gonna have to take me eventually, eventually yeah
0: yeah that's awesome
2: and so hopefully that uh that drive and was also visible to them yeah um but yeah it was just I, the first time i really listened to big band music that's where i started listening to jazz i was like this is like whole other level of energy yeah yeah um and that you know that just kind of pushed me i was like this this is what i want to do i don't know how i'm gonna get there but this is what i need to do
0: and um do you think that that derek saw some saw that in you that this was that you were obviously like had that desire to to be able to do that however it would end up happening (laughs)
2: Yeah, I I definitely think so. Because I mean, I was obviously listening to the music. I wasn't just somebody who's like, yeah, I want to do this yeah. jazz degree. Yeah. I was like, no, I really, really want to do this. And I just don't know how, like, being in a classical world, everything's given to you on a sheet. And I got to say, my sight reading skills are pretty good, because of it, especially on piano, because when you do those exams, like, yeah. they're, you get massive sight reading pieces to do. So you train to do that. Um, But yeah, that whole concept of improvisation, I just, I didn't know how. (laughs) I just did not comprehend how people were able to make a solo.
0: How long did it take to get into that mindset, to be able to actually successfully do that?
2: Oh, boy. You know, I don't think that I really started making solos that I would say I'm even slightly proud of till maybe my third or fourth year of university like
1: okay
2: i worked really really hard but i just like i had i always had this kind of mental block up there you know it was very i had to start realizing if you make a mistake it's not a mistake figure out how to get out of it it's never a mistake um and that's something i do with my students even if they're doing classically trained i make them improvise from day one cool um I'm like, no, you need to understand this concept because if they get stuck in that box, the musicality
0: gets lost. When well, you probably lose a lot of kids who would have potentially been great musicians, too, if they if they just get kind of fed up with it because they can't they get you get stuck with something that's pre-written, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, even some of my older students, I had a student who was in her 60s. OK, and I said, you're going to learn to improvise. And she just looked at me like, Ugh. <laughs> and I said, you know what, you're doing this for two minutes. You don't have to like it, but we're going to do it. And we did it and a couple of weeks passed and I didn't press her because she was like really kind of tense about yeah. it. And a couple of weeks later she comes to the lesson. She's like, can we try improvising again? You know, then she was like, wait, I can actually, you know, do something with yeah, this yeah. And, and create something. And that's the one thing that I just love about jazz is that there's so much spontaneity um, it's not scripted like an orchestra. you you never know what's going to happen next, and you have to try anyway to respond to what's happening yeah. around you and that's that's exciting. It keeps you on your toes. You're not just sitting there counting, oh, I've got sixty four bars of rest till my one note. You yeah know? yeah, you have to be paying attention even if you're not soloing or playing because maybe you have to do backgrounds. maybe you you know somebody starts playing backgrounds, you got to join in. so you can't check out for a minute.
0: Well, it's exciting to listen to, I think, for the same reason, because you as a listener, you don't know what's going to happen either. Literally anything could happen within a single song, let alone, you know, a full performance. Exactly. Yeah. What um, I mean, I know we've obviously established that you play jazz and you love jazz, but jazz is such a large umbrella genre. There's so many. I mean, you can take two different jazz records even from the same year and they can be so drastically different. What sort of jazz, what particular type of jazz appealed to you the most when you when you first got into it?
3: So uh,
2: I'll tell you a brief story sure. about how I started listening to big band music. That's what I listened to first. Um, you know, my, my parents didn't really play a lot of music around the house. There wasn't really like something that I was constantly listening to. It was just like, whatever's on the radio, whatever's on yeah, yeah. TV, whatever. Which is usually not jazz. Exactly. <laughs> so um, I remember I was 15 years old. It was New Year's Day and I always loved watching the ball drop
1: yeah.
2: on TV. And I was watching on CNN and, you know, every 30 seconds, there's a commercial break. So um, that particular year, Delta Airlines was playing uh, Frank Sinatra's Come Fly With Me. Okay,
0: yeah. Make- so good ev- yeah.
2: every commercial break, I was hearing this little, like, 20-second excerpt of the song. I, like, I liked it, but I wasn't like, like oh, I got to listen to this track right
1: now. Yeah, yeah.
2: And then Syrah Ultra Premium Vodka – I think they were playing Luck Be a Lady,
1: okay. another
2: Sinatra yeah. arrangement. Yeah. And so all night, I'm just getting fed this subconsciously because it's it's the break. I'm not watching TV at this point. And, uh, of course, the ball drops and they play New York, New York. <laughs> and I go to bed. And the next day I wake up and that song's stuck in my head. Come fly, you come fly with me. So I was like, okay, let me listen to this whole song because I heard like 10 seconds of this. This yeah. isn't fair. And I listened to it and... I kid you not, I probably listened to it for an hour on loop. And I just, I'd never heard big band music like that before. Like, it, it's not Lawrence Welk that you see on TV. You right, know? right, right. It's this really big, and I mean, it's a Nelson Riddle arrangement, and it's just the sound and the energy that was coming from that, even though there's like, I don't even think there's any improvising in that arrangement, probably not, to be no. fair. Um, but I just, I loved that sound. And I was like, I listened to it for an hour. And then I thought, okay, well, I'll download, you know, <laughs> Luck Be a Lady because I heard this one last night too, right? And I probably listened to that for like an hour. Okay. And then I was like, okay, well, I like Frank Sinatra. Sure. Let me download. <laughs> so I started downloading albums. And um, I used to listen to them while I did my schoolwork because I was homeschooled, right? So Makes sense, yeah. I would put it on. And I would listen to it. I put one album on and I listened to it for the whole day. Okay. And like subconsciously, I was taking in all this, you know, this information. Absorbing I was like, it. Oh, in. I love this. And then, I, you know, I started looking. Okay, well, who else did Frank Sinatra play with? So then I started listening to like Tommy Dorsey and like the stuff he did when he was younger. And yeah. then from there, I just kind of okay. Well, I'm listening to Tommy Dorsey now. And then oh, this person performed with Tommy Dorsey. Let me go check what they did. And it just spiraled out of control (laughs) at that point. And I was just like, oh, this person played on this record. And, you know, I love how as big as the jazz world was, especially back then, um, the fact that they're all somehow connected is just incredibly fascinating to me.
0: Like, it's such a small world. I like that you're doing it that way too, because I feel like we're in an era now where that almost doesn't happen as much as it used to because everyone just has everything kind of on shuffle and it's just background noise and it attention spans are so short but that's i mean that's the same way i always discovered music that i like too i would look at the liner notes of a record and it would be someone whose name i didn't recognize and they were playing on a track i liked it's like okay i'm gonna figure out how to find out who this guy is and then you find their band and so on so yeah it's it's definitely i think the coolest way to discover music because you already have that in right you have the in from the, Mm -hmm. the thing you already love and then you realize wait it's not just it's not just frank sinatra do, doing all the music there's all these other musicians who are involved exactly. yeah that's, that's really cool
3: i don't want french fried potatoes red ripe tomatoes i'm never satisfied i want the frim fram sauce with the ossa with chavava on the side I don't want pork chops and bacon That won't awaken my appetite inside I want the frim frim sauce with the arsafé With chavava on the side Now a girl she's really gotta eat And a girl she should eat right Five will get you ten I'm gonna feed myself right tonight I don't want fish cakes and rye bread You heard what I said Waiter, please serve mine fried I want the frim fram sauce with the ass of With chef alfa on the side You ten, I'm gonna feed myself right tonight. I don't want fish cakes and rye bread. You heard what I said. Waiter, please serve mine fried I want the frim fram sauce with the awesome bay. with a foffa on the side Witch a fa on the side Witch a failure. Now, if you don't got that, just bring me a check for the water.
0: So at what point did you um, sort of realize that this is something you could you could take further than just being a student and just being someone who was, you know, studying trumpet and uh, and doing it at that level? So
2: so you mean like from university? Yeah, to... like
0: I, as an actual musician. I mean, like, you know, because yeah. a lot of people, you know, a lot of people go to go to university for for whatever they're going to and they often don't end up pursuing that as a career for whatever reason, right? And I mean, music is no different than Uh, philosophy or whatever else right i mean people study it they like it they're really into it and then sometimes life changes happen sometimes they they for whatever reason they don't pursue it what was sort of the spark for you after after learning all that you clearly you you were obsessed with it i would imagine based on based on what it sounds like right but what was the next step i guess once you're you, you finish school and now you have this whole world of people who are trying to make music how do you get yourself out there
2: yeah. So, well, I I will start. Like, I was gigging before I started uh, university. Not as a oh, trumpet cool. player, okay. though. Um, Ron Paley took me under his wing, and cool. you know, another person who's just been so instrumental in in my establishing a career and getting the confidence to actually
0: do this. You've had a lot of um, like really <clears throat> successful, well-known mentors here, right? Eh? It <laughs> it's like you're just meeting the right people at the right times.
2: Yeah. Well, because I had listened to all these Frank Sinatra songs and. You know, my dad was put it on one day and I started singing along to all these tunes. And he's like, I've never even heard you <laughs> listen to this. How do you know these? Like, yeah. so he contacted Ron and said, you know, my daughter really likes this music. And like, would you consider getting together with her? So Ron's like, bring her down. So cool. went went over to Ron's place and he, was, he knew that I had listened to a lot of Sinatra. So for intros, for everything, he would like shrink down the big band charts uh, into a piano part and then just look at me. And he wouldn't tell me what tune.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, it was that he was playing and I'd start singing and he's just kind of, okay, well, that's a one-off. So he'll do another <laughs> one. And then I think we probably played for like an hour and he's like, how do you know all these songs, yeah. you know? And from that connection, I mean, I played at the Lyric Theater. I used to play with him at the Palm Lounge a lot. Cool. Um, I've hired him for my own gigs. Um, and, you know, he really gave me the opportunities and the confidence and, you know, introduced me to a lot of people that that helped me grow my career.
0: Well, maybe a better way to word that question I had then is in light of all this, like, what was the, uh, what did you have to do to make yourself as, as, as your own music? I mean, you know, it's a little different playing with someone else, especially someone established like that, than it is to being like, you know, this is me, this is my sound, this is, I'm leading this project, right? What was that like mm-hmm. to, to sort of become, become the, the, the focal point? Yeah. Um, man,
2: that's, That's a good question. I might have to think about this for (laughs) a second. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely a change, like being a a band leader. Yeah. Um, I really, I love, and you were saying before, like jazz is such a big umbrella term, Um, but I love the swing music and the standards. I love Latin music. Yeah. Uh, I'm more drawn to, I guess, the more traditional uh, jazz, though I do play modern stuff as well i I love like the miles davis modal stuff um there's a lot so for me as a band leader i just try to showcase all of that so i want to keep the audience interested and you know if somebody really likes those sinatra tunes they're not a big fan of the modal tunes at least there's something for everybody in there so that's something as a band leader whenever i'm going in i always unless otherwise specified if they're just like play for us. Yeah. I I want to make sure that we have, you know, latin tunes and uh, you know, all different styles so that there can be something that everybody enjoys and it never gets stagnant or stale.
0: Right. And I guess you don't seem like a nostalgia act necessarily there as well, right? Cuz I guess there's a danger of if you're just doing the Sinatra stuff, people will be like, "Oh, this is this is the band that plays oldies," mm-hmm. right? You know, you don't want to you don't want to be that.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So, it's a good and it keeps the musicians on their toes too cuz like uh, my husband's a bass player. Cool. He doesn't want to be playing Latin bass lines all <laughs> night. You know, he yeah. wants to be able to walk. He wants to be able to solo. He wants to be able to do things. Um, so keeping the music changing constantly um, stops you from getting bored with the gig, especially if it's like a three hour gig. Right? Sure, <clears throat> It's harder to do like just all standards one night or something like that. You want to change it up a bit.
0: Well, so. I think that's a, some, a problem that maybe a lot of uh, bands playing other styles of music aren't faced with, the idea of uh, it's a three-hour gig. Because, I mean, you, you know, if you're a punk band, you're playing for half an hour maybe, right? I mean, yeah. you, you know, <laughs> it, it, uh, most different styles, there's kind of a one-set thing, unless it's a very special event. But, I mean, I imagine as a jazz band, you're often playing multiple sets just based on the nature of the, uh, of the type of music you play and sort of the, the typical settings that that's played in
1: hmm
2: well jazz was a social music it was sure. created as social music right so it was music that people were dancing to um that was playing at parties yeah it wasn't necessarily the thing that we do now where we go and sit very politely and listen to jazz and applaud after the you know people were up dancing it was it was supposed to get you moving yeah um it was supposed to be like the social music so now it's it's still kind of like that Background music, so people know you're there, but they don't really know you're there, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and especially if you're doing like a wedding or something, they might ask you to do, you know, the cocktail hour and then play during dinner or something like that. So you have to break it up, or you play the Palm Lounge and it's like eight till midnight or whatever. Right, right. Three sets. Um,
0: do you have like a different um, mindset going into a show like that, where you know you're going to be basically seen as background music, whereas I uh, kind of as opposed to something where. You know the listeners are going to be more interested specifically in what you're doing, and they're there to see you, or they're there to see jazz in general. Like I imagine, the getting ready for a show like that's got to be a bit of a different setup, and just just in terms of uh, like personally being prepared to, because it obviously doesn't suck if people are at the wedding and they're not there for you, but it's a di- it's a different thing, right? You're you're not the focal point at all. You're just sort of in the background and, and doing something pleasant, I guess, rather than sort of saying this is my art. This is this is what I am showing you.
2: Right. Um, yeah, definitely. There's, there's that difference. And yeah, it's just, you kind of, I, especially if I'm doing like a wedding or something, I'm probably going to do more standards. I'm going to do more, you know, stuff that the audience is also familiar with. I'm not going to try some experimental free jazz, you know, for a wedding. Um, so for when it's situations like that, I want something to be, um, I don't want it to be intrusive because that's supposed to be people are supposed to be able to converse. They're supposed to be able to socialize. You don't want the sound of the music overpowering all of that, where they're just yelling at each other. It's (laughs) like, you know, it's like being at a bar (laughs)
1: at
2: that point. So keeping things kind of nice and light and uh, not doing anything really loud or things like that. Um, but it, that's the the great thing about improvising is that you can do something interesting with your bandmates. You can still make it interesting for yourself. Sure. People just they're like, oh, I'm listening to music. They don't really notice, and you know you can still do things yourselves to to make things interesting and keep it interesting. Especially if you have a very long gig.
0: Yeah. Well, even within those standards, you can you can take those in a lot of directions that are still you know uh, I guess calm enough <laughs> that it would fit a wedding. But <laughs> but yeah, that makes sense. Like I can see that for sure.
3: That's the only thing I've plenty of Baby, dream a while and scheme a while You're sure to find happiness And I guess all the things you believe are fine How I love to see you looking swell Baby, diamond bracelets and wool never sell Baby, till that lucky day You know darn well, baby I can't give you anything. I can't give you anything. I can't give you anything but love.
0: How can people find your music? I mean, like I said, I, I found you sort of by accident because I try to find as many local musicians as I can and then I listen to them and then I kind of reach out to the ones whose music I like. But um, what what's the best way to, to hear your stuff? I mean, for someone who maybe is being introduced to you for the first time on the show, what's the best option to check out what you're doing?
2: Uh, yeah, probably my website, com. I have like all my YouTube videos and my SoundCloud feed and everything's kind of linked in there. So cool. that's kind of your one stop shop, I guess. Um, I'm also on Facebook. You just look up Candastuckbee and uh, Instagram.
0: Cool. Well, and, do you uh, have any plans? Uh, you know, obviously, we're by the time we're recording this, we're still in a pandemic. Shows are starting to happen for all styles of music. Uh, you know, they're slowly uh, getting to, to be back to somewhat normal again do you have any mm-hmm. idea of, of what it's this is going to look like for you kind of re-emerging from the uh pandemic and i i don't know like i
2: did personally i don't do a ton of like public gigs anymore right right I, I'll, I'll play at a restaurant here or there but i do a lot of private gigs and those were those are nice because they're repeats especially if it's sure. like we do this banquet every year then you're Guaranteed, you're going to get the gig for the banquet. Um, so all those things have kind of disappeared. So until like, for me, especially until those things are starting to happen again, that's going to be when I start, you know, getting back to some sense of normal. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been rough. I did a, a virtual duet last summer um, with Benny the III, a trumpet player and pianist and singer as well oh, cool, cool. <laughs> from new york city and we did this long distance virtual uh duet so i've been trying to do more things like that and you know taking lessons because right now there's some fantastic musicians who aren't on the road and they, yeah, they're yeah, like yeah. i'll teach and i'm like when's the when am i <laughs> going to get a chance to study with you ever like right this is insane so i'm trying to take advantage of those opportunities i know that That sounds bad. I'm
0: taking advantage of their misfortune. You're right, though. I mean, I think that this time of everyone being locked down has has actually opened up a bunch of things that, you know, it's not ideal, but ways to create or to to learn, like you said, uh, that that wouldn't have been possible uh, in any other situation. So I guess, like, it's nice to see people are making the most of it. And I think that once shows kind of fully come back and people start recording again, you know, as much as they used to and things like that, I think we're going to be inundated by all this creative stuff whether it's music or art or film or anything else because everyone's been bottled up and has no <laughs> real way of letting any of that out right so i think i think it's going to be just like an avalanche of content which is great uh, i mean for for music fans right
2: oh exactly and i've also been working um in the film industry the past couple months as a music consultant for um one of the cbc miniseries that's coming out in february yeah so. I,
0: saw, I saw that on your on your bio how, how did you get that
2: Uh, actually Derek. Oh, nice. Nice. (laughs) I mean, man, he looks out for me. I'll tell you. Um, but yeah, they, they asked him if he could do it and he was, uh, going away and he's like, well, I got the person for you. And they called me up. Like, he's like, my manager's going to call you in five minutes. I'm like, yeah, sure. Five (laughs) minutes, literally five minutes later, she calls me. I was like, yeah, I could do this. She's like, okay, I'm going to have, you know, I'll have them call you in a, in a couple hours. So I'm like, okay. A couple hours later, like they just moved really fast. That's cool. it's been a, a very interesting experience. I've never worked in the film industry before and, uh, you know, getting to go on set and it's like all the movie magic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mesmerized. Now I'm sure people who do it for five, 10 years, are probably just bored out of their mind. But I find it all very fascinating and I'm working, um, with the actor to get him to like look legit on screen oh, cool. and helping, okay. Okay. helping with the edits and, and making sure that things look as good as they can, um, they're, they're really putting a lot of work into it. And I, I appreciate that because there's so many films I've seen, yeah. especially as a trumpet player where I'm just like, oh, no. <laughs> you know?
0: you see that even with guitar and stuff sometimes too. You're like, some guy's doing a solo and you can tell he's not even anywhere near the, the right part of the <laughs> instrument for sure. So that, that that's cool they're doing that amount of detail. Mm-hmm. When is that show already airing or is that something that's coming out uh, in future?
2: It'll be coming out in February. Cool. It's called The Porter. Okay. And it's about uh, the African-Americans who came up uh, to kind of flee, not slavery, but just the, the tension that yeah, yeah. was down there. Um, so they came up to Canada in search of a better life. And I mean, to be honest, it was better, but not really. Yeah. Um, they were they were basically only allowed to work as like streetcar porters, which is why it's called the porter, right, or right. the woman worked as maids. And a lot of them actually came up here to do schoolwork. Um, they were getting law-, law degrees and doctorates, and they had to work as, you know, basically a servant on the train. They weren't allowed to work in a law office or something on summer vacations, so um, it's kind of covering their stories and talking about the triumphs and trials and tribulations, yeah. and it's it's very well done, um, and I, th- I think it's going to be a very good, um, good showing, and I think it's going to be something that a lot of Canadians particularly aren't familiar with they're very aware
0: of for sure we so. tend to think of that as being an american thing right i mean the, the, mm-hmm. i mean we have our own obviously issues with racism canada has quite, quite unfortunately we but yeah i think that that particular uh, era and is often thought of as an american issue so it's it's very very yeah. timely i think to with with what's going on in the culture too to, to have a show like that
1: yeah
2: i believe it's coming out for black history month as well oh, it's cool. going to be airing on bet as well in the states
0: so. oh cool so they get to see some canadian stuff too yes <laughs> right on right on Bye-bye. Uh-huh.